Hey church, welcome here this morning. Will you let me tell you how awesome you are? Will you let me begin that way? You're a little uneasy. You're like, he's not gonna do it. This is bait and switch here. Um, but I am, I am. You know, a few people every Sunday, they, they come up to me and ask, okay, you've been here a few months. How are you liking Stonewall and the church? And, and um, so I thought it would probably be good just for me to tell you all, now that we've been here for about five months, that you guys are awesome. So take that, pat, pat yourself on the back, okay? That's right, I love that you're congratulating yourself. This is great, yay me, yay me. Yeah, you guys are awesome. You know, we, we just, we've, uh, we're really in love with this church and this community and we feel so thankful that the Lord has led us here. Ran into somebody in, in uh, town uh, in Winnipeg this week, a Christian leader who's been exposed to many different churches and he said to me, Rusty, you have one of the healthiest churches that I've ever seen. And so uh, I just wanna tell you that, that this is what other people see and uh, that was on display last week. The message last week really encouraged you to um, consider being a part of Life Group, one of the Life Groups of this church if you weren't already. And uh, a guy came up to me that I hadn't yet met after the service on Sunday and uh, he told me how he wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for his Life Group. His Life Group, a single guy, has got him through so many things in life, he would not be here today if it wasn't for that group of people. And it was so good to hear that, that, that this is happening in the life of this church, this meaningful relationship. And uh, this week, again, somebody in our congregation had, a, um, had, had some real health concerns and was going for a test that there was a real worry about and, and had got their whole life group praying for them and, and uh, there was that body of support there and then they got good news and the life group celebrated with them and bore that burden and it's so good to see that happening and the uh, life of this church and I just see the great potential that is here that hopefully God re- we will see realized in our lives in the life of this church as well. Um, beginning next uh, Sunday, we, uh, you might have seen in, in the bulletin next Sunday I'm preaching about beer but you're not allowed to bring any, okay? Just in case there's any confusion. We're gonna talk about it, but we're not gonna be bringing any or drinking any here next, next Sunday. What you do after is your business. But um, we're beginning next Sunday a new series called You Asked For It, where we're giving you opportunity uh, over, over the next uh, number of weeks to submit maybe a burning question you've had for a while about the Christian life, about Christian faith. A question you've had maybe in school, in the workplace, you, you've gotten questions from others and you're not really sure what the answer to that question is and, um, and that bothers you. Anyway, this is your opportunity to uh, submit that question. Maybe you saw the little table between these two set of sanctuary doors in the foyer. There's a table there with a box and some, and some uh, little slips. Go there, write that question in there, put it in the box and we'll be addressing some of those questions over the next uh, few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Jesus, according to the Gospels, now he, he did many more miracles than were recorded in the Gospels, but the Gospels record 37 miracles of Jesus. And 36 of those 37 miracles involve the provision and restoration of life. And then there was the 37th one. Have you ever had a bad day? Anybody here ever had a bad day? So maybe Jesus was just having a bad day. I mean, I, I don't really know, but there was this 37th miracle 
That's recorded for us in uh, Mark chapter 11, and it tells us the story of Jesus traveling with his disciples, and on this occasion he was hungry, and he saw in the distance this fig tree, which was in leaf, and so he walked over to the fig tree to find if it had any fruit, and we're told that when he reached the tree, he found nothing but leaves on the tree. No fruit, but then Mark says, because it was not the season for figs. And so he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. In other words, he was angry and he cursed the tree. This fig tree has no figs, be cursed, die. But Mark tells us it wasn't the season for figs. So is he just having a bad day? We're gonna come back to that at the end of the message. But we're concluding this morning our six week series we've called Church on Purpose where we've been exploring the five purposes that God has for the church and for your life in the church. And so we're bringing that to a close this morning, looking at the fifth purpose. But at the outset, if you were here at the beginning, you got this little church on purpose challenge card. I gave you three challenges. And um, so we're gonna revisit those now that here we are at the end. The first one was that you would be in church all six Sundays through February 12th. You're here today. I don't know what the other weeks be here today, good for you. And uh, for those of you who are really tracked with this in presence or if you couldn't be here online, that's wonderful. A shout out to Jordan Vessa, who is listening to this at some point in Vancouver. He's been track, he's been, so hey Jordan, glad you're listening in. Uh, he's been following along, some others have been following along online, that's awesome. Um, the second aspect of this Church on Purpose challenge was to memorize the church's mission statement and the three key purpose passages that we built the series around, which were on the back of your card. Now, everybody's eyes are glancing down now because I told you last week that I was gonna at random pick one of you to stand up and recite these passages you memorized. So, eeny, meeny, miny. No, I'm not gonna do that because I've done it before and that's how you lose friends. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick somebody I don't mind losing as a friend. Where's Quentin? Okay, stand up quick. Come back, actually, come down here, Quentin, and recite. I'm, I'm kidding. No, he's, he's, okay, sure, come, 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 come. Are you, are you holding it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> cheat sheet. <laughs> he's feverishly memorizing it up there, hoping I wouldn't call upon him. Great. Okay, well, some of you would have uh, worked on, on memorizing those, and if you did, good for you. I hope that those stay lodged in your mind, in your heart, and uh, that you revisit those. Um, but we're gonna look at the la- that fifth and last purpose, which we find at the end of that last passage, you were in- encouraged to memorize the Great Commission, where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If, if, if you memorize it, this is your point to show that you got it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Great. So we're gonna visit the last part of Jesus' command we find in the Great Commission. There were three parts. There was the going, there was the baptizing, and then we're gonna look at this last one where Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And we're gonna see that this shows us the purpose of discipleship. 
Discipleship, this is the fifth and last purpose. Uh, what, is, what is discipleship? What is a disciple? If you've been church, in church long enough, you've heard that word many, many times, disciple, discipleship. If you haven't been around church long, you probably haven't heard it much because it's not a word you hear out there, is it? Like, do you guys hear about your friends in school talking about discipleship? Do you, ever, do you hear that word? Do you hear it? Disciple, you don't hear it, do you? It's not a word you find out there because it's, it's a word that describes a relationship that you don't find in the world today. It describes kind of a whole paradigm of thinking and living that doesn't really exist in our society today. So you're not gonna hear or see about it out there. And we, we talk about it in the church, but sometimes I think we're not even sure what we mean when we talk about being a disciple or discipleship. But in the first century, this was a very common word, and many people were disciples. Jesus had disciples. Other teachers or rabbis had disciples. It was, a, it was a unique relationship. We've often kind of translated the word disciple as student, kind of a student-teacher relationship. And that's part of it, but that's only a small part of it. You know, if you're a student, you go to a class and, you know, Mrs. whatever, Mrs. Friesen teaches you biology, right? And you're there to learn biology, and so you get this information, and then after your hour, you leave. But that's not what dis- being a disciple is. That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is if you were to go to class and you were actually to study Mrs. Friesen, right? It would, it would be to actually become like the teacher. Their whole life would be the lesson. And this is why you see Jesus, after he picked his disciples, they followed him everywhere for three years. It wasn't just class time, you know, Wednesday mornings, they, they walked with him, they talked with him, they stayed with him for three years, they were immersed in Jesus, they were disciples. It wasn't just about liking Jesus, it was about becoming like Jesus. This is what discipleship is. This is what it means to be a disciple. Not just to learn from a teacher, but to become like the teacher. And it's important to note here that Jesus puts this last, and I think that's on purpose. This is the last thing Jesus says. Um, Here's the order. He says, share the good news, baptize people, those who receive the good news, baptize people, and then, lastly, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this is an important order, because the sharing the good news there is believing. Believe, belong, baptism represents belonging, and then teach to obey, becoming. So we see this progression, the progression of Christian discipleship, what Jesus teaches is, believing leads to belonging, leads to becoming, and very often, that gets reversed, and if that gets reversed, that becomes a problem. Then you start to get religion, and God doesn't like religion. Jesus didn't come to give us a new religion, He came to give us a whole new way of thinking and living. Believing would lead to belonging, which would lead to becoming. And you see this lived out in day one of the church, Acts chapter two, 41 and 42. When when, uh, Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 people, it said, accepted the message. Okay, they believed, they accepted it. And right away they were baptized and added to the number of the church. And so they belonged. And then after that, the very next thing it says is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching which is to the commandments of Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and so you see that progression. Believing, belonging, becoming. 
What that tells us, and this is very important, is that, because this was new, this was totally new. It was new then and it's still distinct in our world today, that we are saved apart from our works. This is why Jesus puts it last. It's not like, okay, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and once they've kind of, they're good enough, then, they, then baptize them, then they belong, they belong to me, they belong to the church. No, believing comes first, belonging comes first, and then the, then the becoming. We are saved apart from our works of obedience. And Paul is really clear on this in Ephesians chapter two when he says in verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And then he repeats that a few verses later in verse eight. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know what he says? You were dead, and then God made you alive, not through your works, not because you obeyed enough, but because you received his grace through faith. And so what Paul is, is saying is that the gospel is the opposite of religion, because every religion is one version of saying that we do enough good and we earn God's favor. If you just pray enough, if you give enough, if you're kind enough, you meet some sort of threshold that God has set somewhere up in heaven, even though we don't know what that threshold is, so we're constantly fearful that we haven't met it, so we keep striving anxiously to be good enough to earn relationship with God, to earn acceptance and favor. That's what religion is, every religion. Gospel is anti-religion because it reverses that completely. The gospel says that we are brought into relationship with God not through our works, not through our goodness, not through our work for God, but through his work for us, right? Through Jesus Christ, that he did our work, that Jesus lived, obeyed every commandment perfectly, that Jesus was our substitute on the cross. He did all the work for us so that we might become, uh, come into relationship with God through faith in what he has done for us, not through our own strivings for God. That's the gospel, that we are saved. Is that good news? Like that is something to celebrate. That's, that's why the news is called good news. Because it doesn't depend on us being good enough, it depends on Jesus having been good enough. And we can receive this life with God simply by placing our trust in his work, okay, so that's really good news, but that's good, and we ought to sing about that, we ought to celebrate that, but we ought not to stop there because Paul's thought was not complete. He had another, he had another sentence to say, and it begins with the word for, which means now I'm gonna build on what I just said. So we ought not stop there, and I think too often maybe we do stop there, but he goes on to say in verse 10 now, well, I'll back up to verse eight to get the complete thought. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you hear that? 
He says you're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. You are saved for good works. Why were you created in Christ Jesus? To do good works. So that you might be able to obey the command of God and live the life that is pleasing to him. And this is said over and over again in in the New Testament in different ways. You have that famous passage in Romans chapter eight, right? All things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now there's a few big words in there. Don't get bogged down by those big words because this is essentially the point. The point is, all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what's the purpose for which God has called you? That you might be conformed to the likeness of his son. Why did he call you? Why did he bring the dead to life? that we might be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that we might become like him in thought and word and deed. That's what a disciple is. The disciple is the process of becoming like Christ, being conformed to his likeness. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so Jesus says in John 15, 16, he says to his disciples, I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear much fruit. Why did, why did I choose you guys? I chose you so that you could go and bear fruit for God. So it's important that we understand this, okay? We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for the good works that God has called us to So religion says, if I am good, God will love and accept me, but the gospel says, God loves and accepts me, therefore, I wish to be good. Do you see the difference? That's such an important distinction. One is religion and the other one's gospel. You better get it right. God loves and accepts me in spite of what I've done, and and because that is so awesome, because God's love is so awesome, I wish to honor and serve him and obey him with my life. And so Jesus says, again in John 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, which I normally read as like a threat. If you love me, kind of like what a parent would say. If you love daddy, you would scratch his back, which my kids know is a threat. There will be punishment if they don't scratch daddy's back. If you love me, oh, guilt trip, dad. If you love me, what Jesus is saying is one naturally leads to the other. If you love me, you're gonna obey my commands. The love comes first. If you love me, the natural response is you will obey. You will walk in step with the will of God for your life. Um, So you'll notice that when Jesus gave that great commission, he didn't say, teach them to know what I have taught you. He said, teach them to obey. Teach them to obey what I have commanded you. There's a big difference between obedience and knowledge. Being a disciple is not first and foremost about knowledge. It's about obedience. It's about obedience. Teach them to obey. Now, now knowledge is recorded. You can't obey what you don't know. So knowledge is so important. And one of, one of the purposes of the church is to teach. And that happens in so many different settings, right? That happens... In, in those classes some of you were in here this morning where you were being taught and engaging the word of God and it's happening right now and, and it happens in life groups at various points 
in various places throughout the week. It happens hopefully in your own personal life as you take the Bible and as you open it and as you just study it for yourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to, to show you the, the, the truth so you might know the truth. And um, I know some of you feel kind of inadequate when it comes to Bible study. How do you study your Bible, a lot of people ask. Um, well, I'm glad you asked because uh, on March 6th, that's the day I'm flying to Kenya. Just got the books, to, or the, the flights uh, booked this week to go to Kenya, so I'm flying that day. But here in the church, the evening of Monday, March 6th, the information's in your bulletin. There's gonna be a seminar, an evening seminar on how to study um, your scriptures, Bible, so you get the most out of it, so you know how to study. So I would encourage you to participate in that. You're gonna hear more about that. Um, but knowledge is necessary, but it ought not to stay there, right? Because Jesus didn't say it's about knowing. He said it's about doing. It's about obeying, right? Because knowledge in and of itself is not what God is looking for. James makes this abundantly clear in James chapter two when he says in verse 18, someone, some of you are gonna say, you have faith, I have deeds. But James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See that faith? Faith leading to good works. I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Great, good for you. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You know what he's saying? Back in, he's writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, and the, the, the most important truth of, that, the, that the Jews would pray every day was the Shema, which you know was that, that prayer, hear o, hear o Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Something like that, right? That was the most important truth. The Lord is one. And he's saying, great, great, you know the Lord your God is one. Great, even the demons believe that. In other words, what he's saying is, if Satan went to seminary, he'd be the valedictorian, <laughs> right? He knows more than you. He'd get 100% on every single exam. It's not about knowledge. It's not about knowledge. It's about obedience to that knowledge. Some of you, you know, you maybe grew up in homes where, or, or, or you've seen other people that they knew this well. And you could never win an argument because they just knew it better than you. But they just were not good people. Maybe it was a father. He knew his Bible backwards and forwards and he went to church every Sunday and he dragged you along and he prayed before every meal and if you didn't, you got a smack. And um, he was a cold-hearted person. He was bad to his wife. He was not a kind father. He was a dishonest businessman. Oh, but he knew, but he knew, and he knew better than you, right? What Jesus is saying is teach him to obey. It's not about knowledge, it's about that knowledge being translated into action, into doing. And so James says, a few verses earlier, he says, do not be merely hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves which is interesting. He says there's a certain deception that you can have if you've been around church long enough, and the deception is you think it's all about gaining knowledge. Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, gaining knowledge. And that's, and, and he says don't be deceived, it's not about knowing, it's not about hearing and believing, it's about doing. He says do not be hearers of the word only and so deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word. And so Jesus famously, famously, we're gonna sing about this at the end of the service here in a few minutes, but he famously says 
in uh, Matthew chapter seven, he says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation of, on the rock. And then it talks about the man, the foolish man who heard and believed, but he didn't put it into practice, and it was like building a house on a sand, which crumbled when the storm came. He says, the wise man is one who hears and knows and then puts into practice, because that's what God is looking for. That's what it means to be a disciple. So that brings me back to the fig tree. Was Jesus just having a bad day? Was he just being a little unreasonable? You've all done, right? I mean, you've had that point when the computer didn't do what you wanted it to do, and you wanted to just throw it out the window, and some of you actually did. You actually smashed it on the ground, or you threw it against the wall, because it wouldn't do what you wanted it to do, and the problem was you just didn't know how to get it to do what you wanted it to do. Is Jesus just being unreasonable? Well, no, he's not, he's not. I'll tell you what that story means. Because it's spring at this point. It's time of Passover, it's spring. And the fig tree is kind of a unique fruit tree because as it, it leafs, it also grows fruit at the same time. And not like some fruit trees where it flowers and leaves and then the fruit comes afterwards. It happens simultaneously. Leaves grow, fruit grows. And so Jesus came and um, the problem with the tree was not that, there, uh, not that it didn't have fully formed fruit because it wasn't the season for figs. In other words, Mark is saying, this was not the time of year that the figs would be complete, that they would be done, that they would be ripe for harvest. But the problem wasn't that there weren't ripe figs. The problem was Jesus came to the tree and there were no figs growing. There was no growth. That's what the problem was. There was no growth. So what is that? He wasn't looking for finished figs. He was looking for growing fruit. What does that actually mean, though, for us? And Mark does something kind of interesting. He does something different than um, the other gospel writers. Because if you look at this story in Matthew, it's all one story from beginning to end. He curses the tree. The tree right away withers, and the story's over, and he moves on. But not in Mark. Mark always does something a little bit different. He normally takes a story like this, and he divides it into two parts, and then he puts another story in the middle. And the story that he puts in the middle, embeds, becomes like an illustrative point, the thing that helps you understand the story. And so this is what, he, this is what Mark does. He, he, he separates the story, so right away we don't see the tree withering. We just see that he, he curses the tree, and then there's another story before we come back to the tree. And the story is Jesus going into the temple. You know it well, it's going into the temple in Jerusalem, and he sees, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. There's supposed to be worship and service and honor of God, and what does he see? Commerce. People trying to make a buck, selling the goat or selling the pigeon. What he doesn't see is people actually obeying and serving and honoring God when they ought to have been, right? And so what does he do? He gets angry, right? And he makes a whip and he drives them all out. And he flips the tables, and that's the Jesus some of us guys like, right? Angry Jesus. And then we come back to the tree. After he leaves the temple, they walk by the tree again, and the disciples go, hey, uh, master, over there, that tree you cursed, it's withered, it's dead. So what does it mean? Well, the tree, Mark is saying the tree is representative of the people of God. And if you look at both the Old and the New Testament, uh, 
the, the, the tree is, is very often used as an analogy for the people of God, right? John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I will remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And so this tree represents the people of God. And just as he was in the temple, he saw here's the people of God, here's Israel. God gave them all these laws, he gave them all these rules, and they're not doing any of it. They're not changed. There's no fruit from it. And so, um, Jesus says, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. In other words, all that law, religion, religion, all those rules that you had to abide by, it wasn't working, it wasn't producing good lives. And so Jesus said, the kingdom of God is being taken away and is gonna be given to a new people. And who's the new people? Anybody wanna hazard a guess? Who's the new people who are gonna be the new tree? Right, that's you, that's you, right? That's the church. It's gonna be given to a new people who will bear fruit. And that's the church, that's you and I. In other words, that tree is us. That tree is us. The, 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 the purpose of the church the purpose of the disciple is fruitfulness, fruitfulness. So you are that tree, I am that tree. Um, and, and so one thing I, I, I want us to see here in this story is that God is not looking for full-grown fruit. Because some of us, we think we're like, we're like, we're like the little seedling, we're, little, we're the little bud, we're itty-bitty. And we think God is looking for this full-grown, ripe, full-grown, ripe fruit. And it seems so far apart. But God is not looking for full-grown fruit. He's looking for growing fruit. Growing fruit. Discipleship is about growing fruitfulness in our lives. And each one of us is at a different place here this morning. I, I, lo I, love, I love this family because like any family, I've got three kids. They're all at different places. Right? All different points of experience and knowledge, learning different things. And that's what this church is. You've got veterans here seasoned veterans. And you've got some, they're just beginning the journey. The fruit is just, the bud is just starting to bud there. All different points along that spectrum. And Jesus, Jesus looks at us where we're at. And he has different expectations for us depending on where we're at. I mean, he calls us to the same standard. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He didn't say, just teach the keeners to obey everything I commanded you and the others, 50%'s good. No, he said, teach everybody to obey everything I've commanded you. So God does hold us all, he's calling us all to the same standard, okay? But I'm a father, and you know this if you have kids, you know, I, I've got youngest is Pippa, then Britta, and then Annika, and Pippa, for instance, she's learning how to spell her name. And if I ask Pippa, how do you spell your name? She'll go, P I. P-P-A, and I'll be like, good girl, that's right, you got, I'm so proud of you, that's awesome. And then Britta will hear that, dad, I know how to spell my name, B-R-I-T-T-A. And I go, I'm not impressed, I'm just not impressed. I don't care, I know you know how to spell your name. You know how to spell your name a year ago. I'm not impressed. We wanna see growth in our children, right? What's the next thing? And so Britta is learning to read, and so I'll put a word in front of her and she'll sound it out 
fresh, fresh. Good job, Britta, fresh, you got it, that's great. Then Annika will come and be like, I knew what that word was, it was fresh. I'd be like, I don't care, like, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed, I know, I knew you learned how to do that last year, right? We know that as parents, we celebrate where our kids are at, each one of them developmentally, and Jesus is the same. Wherever we're at, he's just wanting to see us grow in that same direction, wherever we're at, the next step. The next step. What is that next step? Jesus is less interested in where you are, and he's more interested in where you are going. He's more interested in where you are going. He's more interested if, if you are growing, moving forward, not remaining static. So what direction are you moving? Are you different than you were last year? I mean, even Paul, some of you might come, oh, I've come to the point, I've been around church 40 years, I got it all down. I don't know if anybody actually thinks that. But Paul, I mean, Paul, Remember what he said, forgetting what lies behind and striving toward what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. I have not yet already attained it. It doesn't matter what happened last, last year. I'm, I'm looking forward, moving forward. God doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want us to be satisfied with yesterday. He doesn't want us to be satisfied by what we've attained. He wants us to move forward. And we ought not to be discouraged about how little growth there's been yesterday because it's about growth. It's about what's the next step. So that third challenge I gave was that at the beginning of this, as we explored these purposes for the church, that you would, you would be prayerful and you would ask God to show you what's What's one step that you need to take in your life to embrace these purposes? What's one step of obedience that you need to take? I asked you to, to consider that, to pray for that at the outset and all along. And so here we are, we've reached the last, we've reached last Sunday, so what is it? What is it? Maybe some of you know, you've heard from God, this is, some, this is a step of obedience I need to take. Maybe some of you aren't sure, but I would just invite you to, to pray and ask God, God, to be a disciple is to grow, to take steps of obedience. What is that next step? So for you, what is that next step of obedience to Jesus Christ? What is it? Whatever it is, commit to take that step. Commit to take it because obedience is how you experience God's blessing. Did you know that knowing about Jesus isn't actually gonna make your life a whole lot better? Some people think I just tried this Christian thing and I don't know, I just didn't, I don't know. Well I know what happened. You, you, you substituted knowledge for obedience. That doesn't work. Obedience is how you will experience God's blessing. It's, it's how you will realize God's plan for your life. So whatever that step is, take it in faith. Because you only grow by doing, by doing. How many hours of exercise video will I have to watch in order to get strong? <laughs> how many? One hour? Five hours? 
A hundred hours? How many hours? Before my muscles get big and strong. It, it doesn't work that way, does it? Your muscles only grow by exercise. And Jesus is saying it's no different with faith. Faith, for faith to grow, faith needs to be exercised. It needs to, God's word needs to be obeyed. That's how you grow stronger. That's how you experience the blessing of God. That's how you know his good and perfect plan for your life. And so whatever that step is for you, I just want to encourage you to, to, to take it. Ask God. Ask God. And then commit to take a step of, that step of obedience and I just want to encourage you with the last uh, thing that Paul said in Ephesians 2, those verses we read, because I, I'm really encouraged by the last few words he used. When he said that we're, we're saved not by our works, but that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and then he says this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What did God prepare in advance for us to do? So you know, what, you know what that next step is in your life? You know, what, you know what Paul is saying? Whatever that next step is that you're scared about or you're not sure about, God is already there. He's already laid the steps. He's already prepared the path for you in advance. All the provision, everything is there. He says, all you have to do is take the step because God has prepared all of that in advance for you. Isn't that encouraging? I get encouraged by that. God has prepared the future. He's prepared the way. All we have to do is step in faith, in obedience. So before I close in prayer, I just want to invite um, you to bow your heads and just give you a moment of personal prayer for you to ask God, to begin asking God, God, I, I hear this word, What is that next step of obedience in my life? What is it? Just take a minute to ask in prayer. Father God, we thank you that through your son Jesus, you did away with religion once and for all. This whole concept that, that we, we ought to or had to or even could earn your favor through our goodness. Or we thank you that in your son Jesus that you, you just flipped the script and you, you did all the work for us that Jesus obeyed every word and then he went to the cross even though he had no sin of his own and he took our place so that all we had to do is just receive your grace through faith. Receive your love and acceptance through faith in what Jesus had done on our behalf. And so we thank you, Father, for that really good news, but, but you don't call us just to thank you for that and just to enjoy that, but Lord, you, you did that in, for us. Lord, you, you created us in Christ Jesus so that we might go forward 
and that we might walk those steps that you had prepared for us, that we might take steps of, of obedience in our life, that we might become conformed to the image of Jesus, and that we might experience all the blessing in that, in knowing your will and living your will in our lives. So I just pray for everybody here, Lord, that as we ask, we kind of search ourselves, and as we ask you what that looks like in our life, I know some are young in faith here, it, it's gonna be a little bit different for them. Um, some are older, maybe some have, are quite seasoned, and, and they need to just start investing in younger people, that's what they need to do. They need to start discipling others themselves. Lord, you know where everybody is at here, Father, you know what that obedience ought to look like in their life, and I just pray, Father, that as we um, seek your direction that you would show us what that step is, Father, and then that you would give each one of us the courage to take that step, knowing that you've already gone before us and you've already prepared all of that in advance for us, that we might walk in it. Give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen.